What is up? No, I am not Adrian. We didn't no. uh we didn't kick her off. She's not gone forever. She's just on vacation having way more fun than we are. But we are joined today. Uh you may be familiar with him. He's been on the show. Sean O'Connell, managing director of Cinema Blend. How you doing? There's a meta joke uh, here about uh, Gabe leaving the Real Blend podcast to come to Hero Blend, and now I'm guest starring on Hero Blend. So there's a lot of Real Blend going on. I, 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 we're, we're basically just stealing everybody. Uh, I think Jake is next. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> Hi guys. Soon enough, it's just Kevin standing by by, by himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good right. to be with you guys. Good to be with you. Glad to hear, man. And that is, of course, the voice of the one and only Eric Eisenberg. Thank you for joining me again. How you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic. These are honestly, these are my favorite shows when they're like when we have a brand new movie to talk about and yeah. we've all seen it and we can. I mean, this isn't a spoiler episode, so we can't like do the full deep dive. But uh, I mean, this is a movie that is one of the most anticipated. I always am so goddamn vague at these opening intros, like as though <laughs> like nobody knows what I'm talking about. But yeah, I mean, right. people are really excited for Spider-Man Far From Home. We've finally seen it and we get the opportunity to talk about it. So yeah, this is going to yes, be a good one. Yes, yes. Today we are talking Spider-Man Far From Home. But before we get into that, we got some news to get into. We've got some Avengers stuff to talk about. So let's just dive right in. First bit of news, we're going to talk about the box office. Dark Phoenix will likely drop off of the top 10 this week. Yep. Is this it's is this how many weeks is this now? Uh, two, three? Three, maybe. Three? Yeah, I think this, this is, is weekend third week three. and it's out of the top ten. Yeah. So it's looking like that will make it the lowest performing X-Men movie of the franchise. Is that correct, guys? That's correct. And domestically, it's it looks like it's going to be probably making about half of what uh, the previous lowest domestic earner was, which is The Wolverine, which made $130 million domestically. And this is going to make probably less than $70 million, So You and I have not talked about this, Eric. Um, sure, do you think sure. the reason is just people don't care because of the Marvel Fox news and they know that the X-Men are eventually going to go over to the MCU. So this is such a lame duck story that the sequel didn't warrant their time. Or are they, or, or do you really think it's fatigue with this particular level of the franchise or do you think it's the marketing? What are your thoughts on to why this bombed so spectacularly? Uh, I think it's kind of a bit of a combination of things. Honestly, the thing, the movie that I keep thinking about whenever I think about this one is Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, which is another movie that like experienced a ton of delays, had a bunch of reshoots, had a bunch of like, I mean, I guess not controversy behind the scenes on the same kind of level, but. Uh, I mean, but it was enough to kind of poison the entire enterprise to the point that when it actually did come out, it performed terribly. It made no money. Nobody had any interest in seeing it. So uh, I really honestly like I think that it's that more than anything. I certainly do think that all the buzz about uh it, this franchise coming to an end and with the characters just to be kind of rebooted within the MCU, uh, that certainly is going to like have people not be invested uh but right. at the same time like yeah i mean like I, I, this movie had such terrible buzz surrounding it that i don't feel like anyone wanted to spend their hard-earned money seeing it yeah it's it's hard uh not to feel a little indifferent when you know i mean especially we're talking about an audience that is really plugged in we're talking about them you know i would think a big chunk of this audience is paying attention to what's going on. They do know about the, you know, maybe they don't understand all the ins and outs of a Fox Disney merger. I don't know that I do. Um, but 
they know what's going on. And I think it's, I think it's real. That's a good question. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are like, well, what's, what's the point? They haven't really been good lately. Um, and I, I already am not that excited. So why should I get excited about something that's doesn't matter necessarily. But I do want to say, I don't want to spend too much time on Dark Phoenix because we've talked about it a lot on the show. However, we have not talked about it with Sean (laughs) O'Connell. Now, the the three of us, uh, uh, the usual hosts, were not too keen on the film is a really polite way of putting how we felt about it. But Sean, you you were leaning on the positive side and I I really want to have your voice on the show to kind of tell us your thoughts and kind of where you landed. Yeah, I went three out of five ultimately on it. um, And... To, to me, it's middle of the pack um, in terms of the X-Men movies as a whole. Uh, I liked it a lot more than Apocalypse. I think Apocalypse is truly a debacle um, with very little redeeming qualities about it. Uh, that is a Frankenstein monster of a movie. Like, I watched the uh, Weapon X segment from it recently on YouTube and was just like, how is this even part of this movie? And it's, and it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, so I enjoyed the fact that it was better than that. Um, I, and I also think it's better than last stand, which I think has a lot of big problems. Primarily, um, Vinnie Jones as the juggernaut, which is just, it's unacceptable on every level. Um, but, uh, I also liked the, I liked the fact that they operated as a team for the very first time. I liked the fact that the team was accepted by society. It, it, it's ridiculous how few times over the course of 11 X-Men movies that they have ever actually operated as a team. I don't know. 11 might be wrong. No, I mean, I mean, but it's true. I mean, like the fact, like because they've always been so like Wolverine centric or like, uh, Professor X, Magneto, like centric. You have like never really been able to be able to get a team movie until this one. So yeah, I, I, I throw the movie that bone. So I, I like those aspects of it. Um, and then even I know the train sequence is a total reshoot, but I didn't mind it. Like I liked the action in it. And if I didn't know that it was a big reshoot, I don't know if I would have been like even bothered by it. It was an okay way. Yes, the way that Phoenix and Jessica Chastain's mysterious character <laughs> resolved themselves. Like I admit, I'm not. I'm not trying to defend that it's a good movie, but I'm saying that it's um, a better movie than the X Men franchise has been giving us lately. Um, but it's nowhere near like to me. Days of Future Past is the is probably the best one. I like First Class a lot. And I like the first. I like the first one more than X two. I know pe- a lot of people are really wow, really, because I was gonna say X two is still. I mean, not counting the Deadpool movies, but like X two mm. is, or the Wolverine movies for that matter. But yeah, no, yeah, X two. I'm lukewarm on X two. I don't know why. Yeah. It just never really hooked yeah. me. I don't like Striker as a villain particularly. Oh, and um, yeah, I don't know. Didn't really, didn't really do it for me. So well, I appreciate you tuning in. But let's get into some DC news. Um, And I'm going to quickly throw this over to Eric because Eric got to sit down with James Wan and we learned something interesting, which you might think Aquaman, huge movie, big success, especially when compared, uh, you know, critically to the rest of the DCEU. You would think they would be jumping on that and that would be James Wan's next project. But that is not the case. So tell us what he told you. Uh, So this is an interesting circumstance because, I mean, we've known about Aquaman 2 for a few months now. Uh, I believe it has a release date in December 2022 which, uh, you know, like this is a big, gigantic movie. It's going to the script is already in development, but it takes time to get these things 
Done. So I going into I, I, I sat down, I had the opportunity to sit down with James Wan at the Los Angeles junket for Annabelle Comes Home. And I went into that interview thinking like, well, if James Wan is going to be doing Aquaman 2, which, by the way, he has not confirmed yet, uh, he probably is going to have to start working on it like as a focus fairly soon. Uh, so when I went in for that interview, I went in with the question, do you know what your next film is going to be? And if I'm being perfectly honest, that was partially me trying to be sly and <laughs> get him to confirm that he was directing Aquaman 2. But instead, what I learned is that it's uh, w- whether or not he does wind up directing Aquaman 2, which is still up in the air, it's not the next project that he's going to be working on. Instead, he is apparently developing uh, a different project that he is was ex- incredibly tight-lipped about. So uh, he basically, like, I, I, it, but it, I'm sure that it's probably going to be a smaller production, more in line with the stuff that uh, he kind of, where his career started. Uh, he didn't even confirm whether or not, the what the genre would be. I'm pers- I'm kind of crossing my fingers that it'll be a horror movie, just because, like, hmm. I, don't, I don't ever want to see him leave that genre completely. But, uh, but it's interesting right. that, I mean, just as within the grand spectrum of the super, superhero DC DC Cinematic Universe, uh, the way things are operating, that James Wan is kind of stepping away from the Aquaman world for uh, at least a few minutes to focus on a new creation. So, Well, so. that movie has a December 16th, 2022 right, release right. date as yeah, of right yeah. now. So there's time. And sure. if he does a, a stripped down, I assume it's a horror movie also, like James Wan's not gearing up a rom-com for Netflix, but <laughs> while I don't doubt he could do it. I was going to say, that'd be fast. I, now you have me wanting that. Now I've, I've completely changed my priorities. But also, I'd say <laughs> that there is no way in hell he doesn't come back to direct Aquaman 2. Like, they will back the money truck up to him. Well, I was going to say, like, it's interestingly, though, and you actually to, yeah. another story that I wrote today, which is that uh, James Wan, like, another question that I asked him during the interview was about his franchise record. The fact that during his career, he's launched uh, the Saw franchise, the Insidious franchise, the Conjuring Universe, and now Aquaman. But in all of that time, and having directed a few sequels, he's never completed a trilogy and as he explained it's really because like even getting him to sign on for the second story is not necessarily the easiest thing to do but uh if he like he doesn't necessarily look long term look as like as far as long-term storytelling goes it's not really something that he's interested in he is like he he, he comes up with a story idea that he is compelled by he decides to tell that story and usually by the time he's done with that he doesn't necessarily feel the need to continue telling more stories with those characters and within that universe. So right. he did yeah. say at the time he he threw everything he wanted to see into Aquaman because yeah. he said, I don't know if they're ever going to ma- let me make a movie like this again. Absolutely. So I might as well put everything I want to see now. But I think he has ideas for a sequel. I was going to say, though, but well, like, you, well, my, my additional but to that whole situation is, is like, I mean, in the same way that Patty Jenkins, like, I'm sure got a ridiculous deal following the success mm-hmm. of Wonder Woman, like, Warner Brothers would be insane not to just do every single thing in its fiscal power to just give, like, get James Wan to direct Aquaman 2. Well, you mentioned how 
great he is uh, at building franchises. And even within the DC franchise, he seems to be building a little bit of an Aquaman franchise. Because uh, he also sat down with someone at comicbook.com um, and talked about the Trench spinoff movie that they're working on. And basically what he said is that they're writing it right now. It's leaning into the horror genre and that it's more of a monster movie than it is a superhero movie. But it's still very much in the Aquaman world. I want to get your guys' read on that uh, because that sounds like a really interesting project, especially for a superhero universe. I don't know if I need to say it. Um, As much as I liked that sequence in the Aquaman movie, um, it was totally very different from everything that was going on in that film. Um, It was a nice Mm -hmm. sort of sidebar on their lengthy adventure. Um, And it showed to me just James Wan flexing his horror muscle in the middle of a big tentpole superhero movie. So it was a far more effective sequence in his hands than it might have been if they tried to shoehorn it into something else. And I even thought David F. Sandberg brought some of that to Shazam, too. Uh, you know, but some people saying it was a little bit too mature for a quote-unquote kids movie. But that's what happens when you hire uh, horror directors. But I didn't leave Aquaman being like, man, I need to spend more time in that trench. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't see the need for it. Now, if they turn it into like... um an anthology type film, you know, where a bunch of different directors get a shot to tell a quick story with a trench monster, then cool. But uh, the trench to me is not a location or a household name that you can market a movie behind. Even though Aquaman did really well, I don't think you're going to be like, remember that trench from Aquaman? We made a movie about it and people are going to be flocking Mm. to go check it out. That's my take. Well, I mean, like, honestly, like, I am, uh, I guess, two, kind of two minds about it. Uh, for one, like, I just kind of appreciate the ingenuity within the uh, superhero franchise because, I mean, the reality is that, like, Marvel is not creating movies like The Trench. Like, that's not, like, that's right. not part of their development strategy. There is, they are way more character focused than, I guess, setting focused or set piece focused. Um, so, like, that kind of arena is interesting and kind of uh, attaching itself to that. Like, it is interesting that, and again, this is the weekend that Annabelle uh, Comes Home comes out. It's like, it's, it very much is a move that is taken from the development strategy of the Conjuring Universe, which, of course, did the exact same kind of move with both Annabelle and The Nun. And that's also Warner Brothers and also massively successful. Like, those movies have been incredible. Like, I mean, they're made for a lot less money than the DC properties are, but those those movies have been incredibly popular at the box office and made a ton of money. So, like, I'm not surprised at all to see Warner Brothers take that kind of step. Uh, But uh, the Annabelle movie brought back the Warrens. Well, the most recent one did, but I mean, but the previous ones, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I have kind of one thought on this, and then we can move on. But one thing, if we kind of look at the the bigger picture of uh, Warner Brothers and kind of the DC and kind of where they're going, between James Wan, between David S. Sandberg, and between um, the director that they seem to have tapped for the Black Adam movie, they're leaning into horror. And... um, but kind of, but they but they're not making specifically horror movies, and I wonder if they're trying to tap into sort of a, a in the way that Shazam kind of did of the Amblin sort of tone of horror, where it's still a fun family event movie, but it can really scare the crap out of you. And that's not really some movies these days have kind of touched on it. They've they've gotten near that Amblin tone, um, but it's not something that Marvel's taking advantage of or, or striving for. I think, and if that's 
what what Warner Brothers has in mind, I'm I'm all in. You know, if this is if this is set in the underwater world and and someone from Atlantis or whatever is going on a, an adventure and it's through the trench and it's scary, but it's it, you know it's it's built on that sort of sense of adventure. I'm like totally. Who knows what this is going to be? Um, but but I'm feeling positive on this sort of lean towards horror. Well, honestly, though, you could also swing it the complete other direction because, I mean, we're this later this year, we're going to be seeing Todd Phillips' Joker, which is the first R-rated yeah. DC uh, comics movie. I mean, I guess. Watch Who knows it, what they're but, doing. <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, but it's interesting that, like, if the trench could find a way to get an R rating, that could be horrific because those monsters are legitimately scary. Like, that is a great sequence because, like, it's perilous it's really intense so like if you were right. to amp that up with like some real blood splatter like you know that'd be kind of needed in, in and of itself so the only marvel just- area that i think that they could build a movie no, i'm not saying the only one first one that jumps to mind though is if marvel did a quantum realm movie that'd be pretty cool like i think that sure. that's an area you could explore that could go in a lot of different directions I just don't know enough about the trench yet to know if it's exciting enough for a movie. Another bit of James Wan news. Uh, it looks like they're, they're, we might get a Swamp Thing movie. Um, Bloody Disgusting confirmed that there's currently some internal chatter about Warner Brothers wanting to take on a Swamp Thing movie. Um, you know, in light of who would have thought we were going to talk about the Swamp Thing TV show for as long as we have because <laughs> it was dead in the water, essentially. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, anyway, this is interesting, and they, and they say that James Wan would be involved if they decide to go that route. Um, this series is really my uh, the most I've ever really um, checked out Swamp Thing and, and learned about the character. So that's really all I could speak to. Is a Swamp Thing movie uh, sort of get you guys interested? Is this just another one of those horror projects that they seem to be leaning into? I'm going to uh, defer well, to Eric because he's seen the show. You're keeping up right. with the DC, the new DC yeah, show, yeah. right? I am. And uh, again, very I, good. As, as we've talked about in the last few episodes, like it's fantastic. It's really great. And this past week's episode is another really fantastic installment. Um, honestly, the way that I'm kind of leaning with that is, I mean, it's always interesting because like, I'm also like, for example, a huge community fan and there has been the long talk about like six seasons in a movie. Uh, so like, I, I, I do like the idea of uh, like movies following up TV shows as kind of like coming together as a big conclusive end. I think a lot of it probably has to do with the way that the Swamp Thing season ends. Just the fact that like it is going to be ending after its first season. We know we're not going to be getting a season two. And we right. also know that there were that like the episode order got cut. So they had to make certain changes to uh, like, it, it went from, I believe 13 episodes down to 10 episodes. So things had to be changed so that like, you wouldn't just like all of a sudden stop the story right in the middle of it. Um, so if there is some kind of big cliffhanger at the end of the first season, It'd be really great if uh, you could then like capitalize on it by creating a like cool ass movie. I'm not sure that you necessarily make it like a uh, big theatrical release. I feel like that maybe you could like mm-hmm. make it as I mean in the same way that like uh, like uh, and this is a totally weird pull, but yeah. like uh, I mean actually well, I, like HBO does it like HBO like they recently did it with uh, Deadwood. There was uh, a Stephen, but the the weird pull was uh, Stephen Merchant had a comedy show called Hello Ladies that was canceled after one season, but was able to also produce a movie that kind of wrapped everything up and 
gave it an actual conclusion. So, like, if you wanted to, like, make a movie and use the resources that you still have left from the making of the show to, like, put maybe on DC Universe or maybe the developing Warner Brothers streaming platform, I think that's a good strategy. But I'm not sure that it needs to be, like, a full scale. What is interesting about Swamp Thing? Like, why is he an interesting character? Oh, well, the character himself? I guess I would say the show so far, um, it's not really, I wouldn't say it's the Swamp Thing character that's super interesting. I mean, he's he's mysterious in the show so far, um, just because we haven't learned that much about him. The show itself is really interesting. It's a procedural sort of structure, um, and the characters sort of surrounding and kind of the world they're building feels, I mentioned this on the show, it feels kind of um, True Blood. You ever watch True Blood? Yeah, sure. It's it's starting to feel that sort of tone where like there's like these bigger sort of more supernatural um, and other weird things going on than just one guy who happens to be become a swamp thing. Um, and so it's been really fun. It's done a really good job of sort of like keeping me wanting more episode to episode I will, and solving the mystery, you know. And I'll just th- I'll toss in like the env- it has a powerful environmental message. Like it, it is really yeah. very much about like the what humans are doing to the earth and how the earth is responding to that treatment and so i mean yeah no i think that and there's compelling storytelling just within that and especially just given what's going on in our world so yeah it's good stuff it's good stuff you should check it out if you can i will round off the dc news um by throwing a little bit of speculation for you guys so kevin smith the wonderful kevin smith um basically teased that he knows who the villain is for uh, the suicide squad james Gunn's the suicide squad um doesn't tell us who it is but he he sort of ended his statement with saying it's perfect in the hands of James Gunn. Um, and that's not a lot for you guys to work with, but I'm really curious with what we know about that film so far, if there's, if there are any characters that come to mind as perfect for James Gunn within the suicide squad. Um, I have two. And, yeah. and again, like, so, so Gunn it has a sort of camp value to him when he goes, you know, with his lower budget type stuff. Um, so I defaulted to the Injustice League, um, which isn't going to be quite as large, obviously. But if he handpicked a few elements, you know, to, to really stock it with either some characters we've seen before already and maybe introduce some new ones, I could see him putting... Because he's obviously good at team building. And if you're giving him a Suicide Squad team on one side, I could see him putting together a really fun roster of villains on the other. I'd also like to see James Gunn sort of revive uh, Ra's al Ghul, or Ra's al Ghul. How does that pronounced? It's 10,000 people pronounce it 10,000 different ways. I don't think... Yeah, we've yeah. never, ever settled. So, the League of yeah, Shadows. Yeah. Like, I think he'd be... Yeah. And it's almost to the point where, like, enough time has passed, you know, <laughs> since Liam Neeson. Uh, and I know there have been other versions of him, especially in the animated uh, take on him. Um, but he would be a intriguing villain uh, in James Gunn's hands to be a Suicide Squad foe. Uh, kind of, uh, my one kind of idea on that approach kind of, almost kind of combines both of yours in the sense that uh, it's been a minute since we last saw him on the big screen and also you can kind of feed a certain camp humor aspect to it while also having bringing some like drama and scares to it uh, but I'd like to honestly like it's, it might sound weird but I'd kind of like to see it be the Riddler uh, just because like this is a character that is like I feel like the movies write themselves when it, when it comes to Riddler. I mean, obviously, Batman Forever didn't, but uh, like you, I mean, to to have a 
antagonist who is like purposefully leaving mysteries that he's hoping that the his is like follower that like people can't solve uh like that I mean, that constructs your plot for you just because, like, he's in the same way that he's trying to stay one step ahead of the heroes. He's trying to stay one step ahead of the audience. And so uh, and to do that with battling against a group dynamic that is a not Batman, therefore, like maybe not necessarily his intellectual equal and therefore a bit more challenging. So you could add a bit of humor to it. But also just like you have different people bringing different things to that kind of story and like that kind of investigation. Like, I mean, it's, there's almost like an escape room quality to it, but, uh, yeah. that I think, yeah, could be fun, but I'll well, thank you guys. That's, but, yeah. That's plenty for us to chew on. I appreciate that. Another little piece. Um, as we move into some Marvel news, uh, James Gunn kind of came out with a response to the as guardians of the galaxy title, uh, that some people want. And apparently some people don't. Um, and he simply said, uh, in response to people sort of asking, please don't call it as guardians of the galaxy. Please don't call it as guardians of the galaxy. He simply put, don't worry. <laughs> so what, how do you guys feel about this? Were you hoping for that? Are you glad that we're going to get a volume three, a proper guardians titled film? Well, I, I, I'm not a fan of numbered sequels. Uh, in fact, I feel like Iron Man two, kind like Iron Man two and three and volume and guardians volume two. Like I, I, I much prefer a creative subtitle and certainly we have an entire history, like decades of Marvel comics with like story or arc names and stuff like that. So you can draw from. So I always, I always kind of find it lazy and also just like there is like volume two comes from the fact that you had awesome mix volume two, but there is no awesome mix volume three. So I don't necessarily feel like that's a given, like that is necessarily the direction that you have to go in. And so like, I get why you don't call it as Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I obviously, I, I personally am a fan of that entire direction for this because I'd love to see just Chris Hemsworth, Thor, just with this group. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I understand, like, but I can understand not wanting to call it that just because it's kind of like Thor is completely taking over this franchise, which obviously is very personal to Gunn, so... Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not really interested in... It, it's a really great joke, in Avengers Endgame, um, but I agree in that it doesn't feel earned within the Guardians franchise itself. You know, it would just feel like it's masking over um, kind of something that's already been building towards something really good. Uh, what do you think, Sean? I think this is interesting because I, I'm with Eric in the fact that I, I prefer the subtitle uh, that gets people excited for it, mm-hmm. but um, they don't always go that route. Like, obviously, Thor Ragnarok, everyone was kind of waiting for Ragnarok to play out as a story. Obviously, anytime they used, you know, the Winter Soldier and Civil War, that got people ramped up for those. But the Spider-Man ones haven't been anything, um, you know, in relation to famous Spider-Man storylines. And along those lines, well, I don't actually, know- well, Sp- Spider-Man: Homecoming is from the aftermath of Secret Wars. So, I mean, Far From Home is new, but far- Homecoming is from the comics. So, true. Uh, but do the Guardians have a subtitle that if you heard it as the thing of of a third one, you'd be like, oh yeah, they're doing that story. Uh, I mean, Annihilation for starters. Uh, I mean, there, there, there are a few, uh, like, uh, there was, God, uh, Black Vortex. I mean, there are, there are a few that I, I feel like, yeah. I would love As Guardians of the Galaxy to be the title. I would love it. I, yes, it's a funny joke, but if they're all in on having Hemsworth, if that's legitimately the plan, um, then I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, it just depends on what Gunn's idea for this story is going to be. I don't really know what his plan is if it's a search for Gamora 
you know, and if the subtitles signifies something closer to that, I, I, the biggest thing I agree with is with Eric is that volume three doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it's volume three, you kind of have to, you'd have to like sell me that in the, in the trailer or something like he like, Oh, while he was on earth, he grabbed a CD or something, you know, do you know that's um, a huge um, part of Endgame that's just completely overlooked the Peter Quill. Makes then he returns to earth. to earth. Yeah. 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 And no and one glances like, like at it for a second. And maybe, Maybe maybe we'll get that in volume three. I, I do hope think, so. Yeah. But they're taking off. Yeah. They're essentially taking off. True. But I, I do think that um, I, I really find it hard for them to not call it volume three, just in the sense that they have to appeal to the least common denominator kind of thing. And sort of the more casual fan uh, is looking for volume three. You know, like, I, I guess you're going to you can call it whatever you want and people will see it because they're the biggest movies ever. But I, I could see them being like, well, we had one and we had volume two and now we need volume three. I could see the uh, marketing team. Yeah, I'm not going to not <laughs> see it if they call it that. <laughs> right. Well, us, sure, sure. Um, all right. Well, so we got some Black Widow news to get into. Um, there were some set photos released that apparently point us in the direction of Florence Pugh's character, Yelena, Yelena. Do you know how to pronounce this? I believe it's Yelena. Yelena, I know nothing okay. about Yelena. Um, so to give you guys a little context, it was a set photo of uh, some boxes that appeared to be like holding costumes, um, and it had Natasha's name on it, and it had Yelena's name on it. So who the heck is Yelena, and does this tell us anything about where that story is going? Uh, Story-wise, maybe not so much, just because, like, yeah, it could be anything, particularly because we have absolutely yeah. no idea when it's set. But uh, Yelena is yeah. very likely a reference to Yelena Belova, who is another literal Black Widow. She, like, uh, had, went by that moniker. She has gone by that moniker in the comics, but she is much like uh, Natasha Romanoff, uh, a former Russian spy trained in the Red Room uh, to be a deadly assassin to be used the world over in uh, like intelligence operations. And uh, like she kind of starts uh, on an antagonistic path and much, again, like uh, Black Widow or Natasha, she winds up kind of making a turn and starting uh, fighting for the powers of good. And so, I mean, I guess... If you are thinking about stories, like it could be uh, a kind of mentor, certain level kind of thing where uh, she kind of sees where Natasha sees herself in Yelena and that's uh, like and somehow evolves from there. Uh, but that's incredibly vague. So <laughs> who, who, who knows where it could actually go? Where do yeah. you think this takes place or what timeline? Oh, well, I mean, I, I think it definitely takes place in this timeline. It is interesting, though, because like. We have, there is now that technology. There is like the de-aging technology that was used extensively for Samuel L. Jackson in the making of Captain Marvel. We know what they can do. So like one could make the argument that like this movie could be set at any time. The question is though, like, I'm not sure that like, are we ready though for a titular character to be like, it's, it's one thing to have Nick, a young Nick Fury as opposed, but like a completely different thing to have like a young, but if you, if you were to give film. a guess, do you think it's, do you think it falls somewhere in like after she's been established in Iron Man two, like part of the main MCU or are we going pre pre her introduction to the MCU? I mean, honestly, I'd love to see it be, like, in the middle somewhere. Like, I mean, there are some, like, interesting gaps. Just, like, for example, like, after Winter Soldier, uh, 
all of Shield's uh, files and and Hydra files have been released into the world, and like people aren't exactly happy with Natasha because all of her secrets have been revealed. And between that and Age of Ultron, you don't really get to see much of what happened to her. Uh, so that'd be great. I mean, there's also between the end of Civil War and the beginning of Infinity War, where like she is out in the world uh, on her own adventure. Uh, as a public enemy as a result of the Sokovia Accords. So uh, that's another big gap in there that they could potentially take advantage of. And I personally, I love it when they fill those gaps because it just, for me, it feels like it, it's more, there's a cleverness to it and it feels like you have, yeah. it, it, like you have to work within certain parameters. So, and if you can make that work. It could also, uh, you know, uh, just very awesome. easily, Florence Pugh's character could end up becoming someone who, like the Widow program, continued to train after Natasha left and she's with the Avengers and something goes wrong with her and they essentially lure Natasha back in to come s- rescue her, you know, team up with her, do some such thing where Natasha's very clearly part of the MCU and she's part of the Avengers, but it's an adventure sort of set in between that. Um, Whereas you say, fills in the gaps but doesn't disrupt the timeline all that drastically. Right. It's, I'm just so curious by it because the stakes, you remove the stakes completely on a character where yeah. nothing can happen to her. Not yeah. that anything's yeah. going to happen to these characters, but. Right. That's the biggest thing for me is that I I want it to feel like it's we're getting it at the right time, that it makes sense for us to get it now and not five years ago. You know, I don't really want it to feel like we're just throwing in. And maybe I'm being a little too precious about the way that they're, you know, they've been able to build this thing out. Um, but if I leave that and I'm like, oh yeah, that like that was fun and that would have been cool if I got to see that in between a couple Iron Men or something like that or Iron Man movies. Um, uh, something that came to mind is, is it possible that this is a sneaky way of being um, an origin story for Florence Pugh's character and maybe she'll live on and continue on in kind of the MCU as we know it maybe. Well, you know, I was thinking about that, but I think actually a weird problem that exists in connection with it is the news that we've also heard about the uh, the Hawkeye series that is coming to Disney yeah. Plus, because that is kind of a similar idea where you have uh, uh, Hawkeye, Clint Barton, training the next generation of Hawkeye, uh, Kate Bishop, and like to potentially be take his place as Hawkeye among the Avengers. So like... You can't overdo it with that kind of storytelling. Like there, there's like there is kind of like you, there's a point where you're just like not every single story that they tell as a part of Phase Four can be like oh and here uh, is how uh, the new uh, this is how the new version of this character is introduced. And it's right. worth noting before we get into our Spider-Man talk that there is a touch of that even in Spider-Man Far From Home uh, in that like there is a certain pressure of him a pressure on Spider-Man to be the new Iron Man to a certain extent so like I think that that's something that they need to be mindful of and just be careful that they're not like being that they're not competitive. Yeah, just copying and pasting kind of who here's going to fill this role kind of thing. Well, before right. we get into Far From Home discussion, we do want to touch on uh, some Avengers news for this week, and that is that they're re-releasing Avengers Endgame. We kind of want to give you guys the lowdown on exactly what you can expect and what we think is going to happen. Um, and, and then I really just want to know from you guys if it's going to work. Um, so what they're adding is an introduction from one of the two directors. Don't know why it's one. That's Anthony Russo will be giving an intro. Um, there's going to be an unfinished deleted scene, um, a, a sneak peek for Far From Home, and I'm assuming not everyone will get one of these, um, So, but some sort of limited poster. 
Uh, is it going to work on you guys? Are you guys going to go see this? My ticket is already purchased. Uh, I, 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 by the time uh, a lot of you have listened to this, I have already experienced Avengers for the third time on the big screen. Uh, right. I like and, and and I will say like two. It's it's motiv- I'm motivated by two things. I was like, well, actually, you know what? I'm not even that particularly motivated by the additional stuff that they are adding to the movie. Like, I, I'm excited for the deleted scene, but at the same time, I'm sure that when the Blu-ray and digital release comes out later this year, that it will be included on there. So, right. like, that's not necessarily super compelling. The poster's pretty damn cool, and like, I, I'm I, cool. like, I'm I'm going to see it on Friday. So, like, I'm I, there's a part of me that is hoping that I can get it, but uh, but and like, obviously, like. The Anthony Russo intro is nice, but uh, not, not crazy urgent. And I've seen Spider-Man Far From Home already, so like a sneak peek doesn't exactly move the needle to an extreme degree. Uh, that being said, though, A, this is a movie that demands the big screen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is not a movie that you can, like, anybody could have just waited to come to, like, go to, like, wait for basically to hit the Disney streaming service later this year and play on their computer monitors. Like this, this needs a big screen and it's not going to have the same experience. And like, and it's not, and it's not going to stay on big screens forever. And like I said, I mean, I've seen it. I saw it twice. I saw it at the world premiere and I saw it uh, during opening weekend. And I, I see this as an opportunity to like, not only like get one last chance to see it on the big screen, but also, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll happily put my money towards the global record, which is obviously exactly what right. this is after. <laughs> yeah, and so, so Sean, I'm assuming you're going to see it, right? Um, I have Ooh. every intention of seeing it. Okay. okay. However, I, I've seen it four times, so yeah. I'm ahead of Eric <laughs> going to see it. Well, my last time going to see it was specifically with the I'm going to see it before it disappears you know, yeah. I just happened to do that two weekends ago. Um, I, I knew they would re-release it, but didn't know it would be this soon. Uh, I thought they might wait a little while. I actually thought the plan would be like end of August after Hobbs and Shaw had played out. And I would have loved to seen an Infinity War endgame IMAX double feature. Because yeah. um, I'd pony up for that. Uh, well... well- and well, I guess the, the the root of the question, really, what, what I think is interesting is, so it needs in order to get that record, which what this all is, like as you mentioned, is to get that record. It's thirty six. It's a little over thirty six and a half million dollars domestic, right? That they need, or is that worldwide? Uh that's world. That's worldwide. Yeah, worldwide that they yeah. need for the record. Uh, do you think it'll work on the general audience? Do you think they can get that thirty six million? I, that number is just high enough that I'm worried. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. worried that I can see them getting like 25, right, and then be like nine million short. Right. right. So I have yeah. I have more casual viewing friends that have not seen it that I've been telling them to go see it forever, and this has been a great opportunity for me to revisit them and go go see this goddamn movie. Like go see it now. As Eric said, you need to see it on the big screen. So maybe in a sense it gives people the sort of uh, you know the finality of well this is this is my last chance. I mean well, if you I, haven't seen it yet, <laughs> I, I yeah. don't ask me why I'm friends with these people. I just <laughs> but I mean well I mean but it is I mean but if, if you haven't seen it yet like like this is like because that's isn't interesting like like uh, psych- psychological thing in that like this is kind of like to it's almost like screaming that point which is like. After its initial release, and it's kind of like petered out to this point, uh, if you haven't seen it to this point, then you probably 
stopped dreaming of seeing it three weeks ago. Like, that's probably the reality of it. However, now that you are, like, getting this widely promoted uh, new release, that is kind of, like, an, an inspirational way to speak to those people saying, like, well, if you ever did have a single inkling of trying to see this movie on the big screen, this is your shot. So that might actually bring people in. I think another... Uh, thing that people are not perhaps not uh like estimating uh properly also though is the spider the potential spider-man boost because Mm -hmm. if you look at uh the numbers from avengers end games opening weekend the number two movie that week despite the fact that it came out two months prior was captain marvel like it 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 got i mean it was either the second or the third uh i I think it might have been this i think it was the second uh but i think like it like Pete, because people knew that this next chapter, I mean, in hell, I'm sure people pl- did plenty of double features uh, where they saw Captain Marvel and then went to go see Avengers Endgame if they had right. missed that the, missed their opportunity the first time. But that's exactly it, though. Like the people who are interested in Spider Man but know that you really need to see Avengers Endgame in order to like fully understand what exactly is happening in the script or in the plot. Uh, then those people are going to go to these Avengers Endgame screenings and then uh, hop over to go see Spider-Man Far From Home. Though, I guess, like, it, 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 it is weird then in that strategy because, like, this weekend, it doesn't have that much competition. Well, then I guess, right. well, I'm now thinking, now realizing it's the July 4th holiday. Like, it's that Spider-Man's not coming yeah. out next Friday. It's coming out on Tuesday. I just, yeah. seen, uh, those incentives to go back are not, they're not strong enough. Uh, yeah. An unfinished deleted scene and a poster, you right. know, and a tease for a movie that's going to open in three days like, here's how Marvel, not that they would ever do this, right? But here's how you bring people back. You tell them that Kevin Feige's recorded a 20-minute uh, video at the end where he's going to reveal the <laughs> slate. He's going to reveal sure. the upcoming slate at the end. So get your ass in the theater, watch well, Endgame yeah. one more time, and then let Feige tell you what's coming next. But even that, though, I feel like would eventually be spoiled. Like, I mean, sites like Cinema Blend would just run that list as soon as the first screenings aired. So, like, I mean, uh, even that, like, like I, I'm not like unless you this was a full on like director's cut or something like that, which yeah. is kind of unimaginable. A because director's cuts don't exist in the MCU, uh, but also B just like the undertaking of that would be so insanely <laughs> massive that it might not even just be workable. Uh, but yeah, so I like I'm not sure there what there was ever going to be in incentive great enough to do it outside of like the stuff we already talked well, about. And, and if right. people have only seen it once and you're listening to this, I will say that even on the fourth time, the stuff that, that got your blood pumping still gets your blood. Like it, it doesn't, you're yeah. not going to hit a point where that stuff is watered down. Um, yeah. But one thing that's a little bit slightly discouraging about this is that I would give them so much more credit if the campaign for this, like if the poster that they handed out literally just said, let's beat avatar. Right. Like just embrace the fact of what you are doing. But what's what's discouraging is that someone pointed this out when Avatar 2 comes out, they're just going to re-release the first Avatar to get people excited. And if Endgame is only ahead of it by five or ten million, you know, the Avatar is going to top that immediately. And then they're going to constantly just be trading spaces back and forth. And the only (laughs) one who wins in that instance is Disney. Yeah. Yeah. 
What a problem to have. I was going to suggest that like the, the also the only movie in between all of this that could potentially uh, break both of their records is Star Wars Rise of uh, Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> which, yes. of course, like, again, Disney. So, like, yeah, like this oh, is all money flowing into their pocket. It's just a matter of... Yeah. But see, this is, this is why I root for it to beat Avatar is because I truly believe this is the only film that has the opportunity to. I don't think Rise of Skywalker is going to get to $2.7 billion. I don't think Avatar 2 is going to get to 2.7 billion. It just doesn't feel like anything else has the potential the way that Endgame has the potential to finally dethrone the champ. Although I'm saying even if it dethrones it, it's going to be short lived. Yeah, Yeah, I I think you're right. And we'll we'll know next week. uh, We could be wrong. First day, maybe it'll just make 50 million dollars. and we're Well, okay, who cares? Right. (laughs) But we'll report more on that next week. For now, we can finally get into some Spider-Man Far From Home talk, this will be spoiler-free, no spoilers, and that means that there's not a lot we can say um, (laughs) about this movie, Um, and that is a good thing, because the spoilers that we could talk about are awesome, Um, and I will say that. That's true. Um, So I'll throw it to you guys to kind of get your thoughts on on uh, on how you feel about it. I am super positive. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, It kind of, it did a lot of what the first movie did in that it feels like a movie about a teenager going through the things of being a teenager. And then you're like, Oh, and by the way, he's a superhero. Um, and that is, I think a really fun world to be in. How do you guys feel about the movie? Uh, I, the two I, people automatically are like, is it better than homecoming? They're instantly comparing it to yeah. homecoming. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to pit those two against each other, but I will say that combined, uh, the two MCU Spider-Man movies are far superior to the Raimi ones um, for just, for Tom Holland specifically, Tom Holland to me is the quintessential Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man interpretation. I just, I love his approach to the character. I love the evolution of him in this movie. I watch Homecoming a lot. Homecoming is one of my favorite um, MCU movies of all time. It's up to this point, it was my favorite Spider-Man movie, even more so than Spider-Verse, because Spider-Verse is such a Miles Morales film, and I'm a Peter Parker guy. Um and there are great, great character beats in Homecoming that work so well. Um, but the action in Far From Home is superior. And Spider-Man has matured a bit as because of what he's been through in, in Infinity War and Endgame. And I know that that's deliberate. I know that Marvel's making him more confident. Like, there are moments all throughout Homecoming where Peter is, like, screaming and yelling because he's in battle. And he, he just seems overwhelmed. Like, he's clearly a kid. They constantly remind you in the two MCU movies that he's a kid. Right. Um so I've, I was lucky enough to see Far From Home a second time now. And before I went into it the second time, I, I thought Homecoming was just a smidge higher than it. And now I'm reversing it. I think Far From Home is just Ooh, wow. a smidge above Homecoming. And a lot of it is tied to Mysterio. Mysterio is a, is a great new character uh, in this franchise. Uh, it, from this perspective, I love what they can do with effects nowadays to do Mysterio's powers. And uh, it's really, really effective whenever he's using them. I also love it, it in these movies more so than in the Andrew Garfield ones or the Tobey Maguire ones. Uh, the Peter MJ relationship. It's the it's the closest to teenage high school romance love. Yeah. yeah. One. What that's. That's a big thing I loved about this was that the MJ character gets really fleshed out. She's so charming, and the relationship that the two of them build in this is is super believable and kind of the things that they go through. I, I What I love is 
for a good chunk of this movie's screen time, it really is just a high school movie. Yeah. In like the purest sense. And that is just so much fun. I agree. I think the cast there nails their chemistry. So, so I, I, it's on par for me with Homecoming. If you ask me on any given day, I'm going to put one or the other above each yeah. other. But I'm just thrilled that these two examples exist in the MCU. Sure. Uh, I, for my two cents, uh, I think it's great. I, uh, well, I, it's really good. Uh, yeah. I, like I also, I, so I, I, I like. To give some some context to where, about where my brain is right now. Uh, I went to go see Spider-Man: Far From Home last night. My screening was scheduled to start at seven thirty. It didn't start till eight thirty. Uh, then, oh. I was, and I, I was at the premiere. An hour late. It was an hour late. Uh, I, I was at the I was at the at the world premiere in Los Angeles. Uh, then I went to an after party afterwards. Didn't get back to my apartment until midnight. Uh, at which time I started working on my review, which is now on Cinema Blend. But I was up until five thirty in the morning writing the thing, and uh, just did and did not basically sleep at all. Uh, so <laughs> like I, I, like that's just kind of where my brain is. But like. I, I fortunately did have this experience, like through that experience writing the review, to really centralize kind of all of my thoughts on the film. And the big thing that I kind of ultimately landed on is, for starters, it is it's insane that we live in a world, a current world, as a as the, like lifelong comic book fan that I have always been, uh, where I am seeing Spider Man versus Mysterio, and not only Mysterio, but like full fishbowl helmet, full purple and green garb, like full flowing cape, everything about it. I am stunned that I live in this world, uh, that where that's actually happening. Um, that being said, I also think that this is a movie and. To the stuff that you guys have emphasized already is a movie that kind of is more about character than story. I think that they really knew what they wanted to do with these characters, and it really shines through. Like what I was kind of uh, teasing earlier about uh, Peter Parker having kind of the weight of weight of the world on his shoulders, as he perpetually does because he's Peter Parker. Uh, but following the death of Tony Stark, there is this like societal expectation that he is going to be the one to step up and uh, take his place. Mind you, the world doesn't know that he's 16 years old. So like, but like he is crumbling under this pressure and just wants to get away, just wants to go on this vacation where he can be a normal kid. And yet with Nick Fury and the rise of these uh, elementals, there is uh, like, he just can't escape it. He, like he, with great power comes great responsibility is he, it's a credo that he understands and has to live by. And like it, you really feel it in this film. It's like, it's really tremendously well done as you highlighted uh, this stuff with MJ Zendaya, Zendaya's MJ is wonderful. Like I, I love, she has like this really great kind of caustic energy that is both really funny and just like, it totally throws Peter Parker off balance which in just like the exact right way and like in a way that is much different because like usually it's like M mj is so beautiful that it just like turns peter into a stumbling mess but this one is like she just mess with messes with him constantly and it's awesome it's really cool to see it's a completely different interpretation but also like you have uh jacob Badalon's ned leeds and uh, and gory rice's <laughs> uh betty brant who get kind of expanded roles more like even beyond like especially betty uh bigger than what they got in homecoming and it provides some really fantastic uh humor uh and even mysterio like a like the character treatment is fantastic uh just because like it, it is very much what i imagined forever uh however there are certain plot developments that i didn't love like i, I was waiting for like the really big big idea to hit and 
it didn't like it had it has a bunch of really cool little ideas but it doesn't have that really big oh my god big idea that uh like really like it jumps in and so an upper echelon that is up until the post credit scenes which uh hit a brand new level of the stratosphere <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll add this and this is part of the thing that elevates it above where i'm going and and you guys if you've heard this yet believe me i'm not going to give any sort of specific details but the the mid credit scene the mid, the there are two, and the first one. It's not. It's not only what happens in the mid credit scene. While it's extremely exciting, it it leaves the Spider Man franchise in such an exciting position um, that I feel it almost feels like in bringing him over to the MCU, there were certain things he had to get through um, before it could officially become. Spider-Man now, right? Like a Spider-Man franchise, right? And I'll just say this, a lot of it's tied to Tony, right? Like a lot of it is that Tony was his mentor and now we've lost Tony and and in this movie he deals with the loss of Tony, like that's not spoilers. Um but it by, by the end of this movie, if you're a Spider-Man fan, I think you'll be really 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 excited about where Marvel, not only where they could take him, but where it almost indicates where they would like to take them, even if they don't go in the direction that I'm thinking, potentially, the the future seems really, really bright for these characters. I'll say. Right. And, and and that kind of answers, I was going to bring up um, this thing that, that Kevin Feige mentioned, which is basically, it's sort of been a question mark before we saw the movie of like, why, why are we ending this phase on Spider-Man and not on the giant movie that kind of culminated everything? Um but the way he kind of put it was that Peter needed to grieve about Tony and that the audience needed to kind of grieve for Tony through Peter. And that was kind of their intention of when they when they made this film uh, that they kind of saw was like, this is sort of a way to, uh, you know, the the denouement of the uh, sort of what happens in Endgame. And, and you kind of answered it, but I was going to ask you guys, now that we've seen it, does that feel right? Does it feel like it's correctly placed in sort of the larger picture or structure of the MCU in phase three? I definitely think so. Like, I mean, because it's interesting because, like, if they hadn't done this, then we would spend the first few movies of Phase 4, like, still dealing with the aftermath of Endgame and, like, needing to deal with, like, the grief and the loss of all these characters. And, uh, like, this movie compartmentalizes it to a certain degree. Like, uh, like I, 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 like there is a montage at the very beginning that kind of uh, puts it all in an interesting context. Uh, I, I won't say too much about it because it, it is worth uh, seeing the surprise. But, uh, but like, <laughs> it, it does. It like you do have like this is kind of this is a, a come down movie. This is like the movie that you really need to just kind of get you back. Like, because at the end of at the end of Avengers Endgame, you're still living in the intense world that Avengers Endgame left you with. Like, it, it's still yeah. very much the dominant force, and this movie kind of brings us back down to Earth to a certain degree. It, like, it, it, like, And especially, it's with a hero like Peter Parker, who is so very grounded in real-world responsibility and reality. Uh, it, it's He makes for a perfect conduit. And uh, so, like, because of this movie, we are like I guess I mean as you as we said like there are certain things that it sets in terms of like projecting towards the future in very very interesting ways. But interestingly, I'm not sure that it would necessarily be able to do that if it didn't have the full story that follows it with uh, with Peter dealing with the, his grief about Tony and figuring out what it means to be a hero in this new world. 
I just want to say one one thing that's remarkable is that with with huge um, franchise storytelling like this, it's so easy uh, for a brand to paint themselves into a corner of just being like, well, where do you move forward from here? You guys don't even know what you're doing. But by letting Far From Home address the culmination of Endgame and basically saying, well, here's where we are because this is what happened. Um, let's let's project just through what could potentially be the next few movies. If Black Widow is first, which I assume it is, in May of 2020, and it's a prequel of some sort of such, and it's focused on that. We have a November 2020, um, which I think personally is going to be the Eternals. That's the one that feels like the furthest along. Um, that's so separate from anything Endgame related that it doesn't have to be dealing with the repercussions of it. Then you get to the next few heroes that I think are in line for their sequels, whether it's Guardians 3, which doesn't have to necessarily have anything to do with unless it's just a quest for Gamora, right? Like, they could talk about the fact that they last saw her in Endgame, but the, but the, it's not affected drastically. And then you could do Black Panther, Doctor Strange, or Captain Marvel, and all three of them can be off on completely Ant different Man. adventures. Don't forget Ant-Man. <laughs> think Ant-Man's going to get another movie? That's interesting. Oh, yeah. No, I do. I, 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 I mean, that's... I mean, it makes... I think every character is going to get a trilogy if, if it's successful enough. And, yeah. And they, there is, like, there are so many stories that, like, I need to know more about Janet and the Quantum Realm and everything that you were having. I mean, just like you just said earlier, like, there's so much that we still don't know there that I feel right. like we need that third movie. Yeah. This this is a nice way. This film does really serve a nice, you know, way to close off the Infinity Saga, and the mm -hmm. rest of the movies that are on the radar of potentially going forward don't have to build off of Endgame. They really don't. They have the ability to go and, in any different direction. And I don't think they should, because because I think that you're you're probably close, if not right. Um, I mean, in Black Widow, that feels kind of obvious. But if if next year the only two movies we're getting can't really comment on the on on Endgame or kind of be a part of that story. Two years from now, our audience is really going to want to sit down and start hashing over, you know, the, that story. Are they going to want to come into a, a character that was there for Endgame two years later and be like, oh, by the way, this is how they're dealing with that, right. you know? Or are we just going to want to hit the ground running um, and just move into this next thing? I, th I think that's likely. Yeah. No, I think absolutely. Like, it's just, yeah, you can't, you can't spend too much looking at it in the past. Yeah, you can, and and they shouldn't. Well, guys, thank you for joining me this week. That was our Far From Home spoiler-free discussion. Go see that as soon as you can, because next week we're going to be back. Adrian's going to be back with us. Sean, you're not allowed. The clubhouse Boom. is closed. <laughs> go back to real blood. <laughs> and that'll be a lot of fun, so you got to go check the movie out so you can play along with us next week. Eric, what are you up to between now and then? Anything fun? Uh, what am I up to between now and then? That is a <laughs> wonderful question. My brain is constantly fried. Uh, I actually, well, you know, because we're going to be recording uh, early next week, we actually, I am uh, free of stuff to do. Like, I actually have, uh, like, I, after this insane marathon of Spider-Manning uh, with my review, <laughs> I actually have a weekend full free of reviews uh, going into, and, or, I'm sorry, a weekend free of junkets uh, going into the July 4th holiday. So, yeah, I am I'm going right. to be, uh, you know, metaphorically we'll get, we'll get relaxing Eric, on a beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get Eric refreshed and relaxed and, you know, just ready to chat spoilers next week. Sean, exactly. thank you again for coming on. Tell the Real Blend guys um, I'm never coming back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They'll be broken up to hear that. Yeah. You got anything fun coming up or are you taking a nice vacation for the holiday? 
we are. I am taking a vacation, but I want to let everybody know that to do pay attention to the Real Blend podcast after you have seen Spider-Man Far From Home because we got John Watts, the director, uh, to come on in the most recent episode. He did a non-spoiler talk, uh, but in an episode that we plan to drop on July 7th, he's going to give us... Um, we did a spoiler conversation where he's going to go in-depth into a lot of the big mysteries that you guys will have been able to see in the movie with some really good insight. And then I think um, a week or so after that, we did a sit-down at the Spider-Man Far From Home London Junket with Kevin Feige and talked um, some big Spider-Man things and some big MCU things, and we hope to run that on Real Blend as well, too. So if you enjoy this sort of content, make sure you're following both podcasts uh, to stay as up to date with all the cool places that Cinema Blend gets to go. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in this week, folks. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts. You can catch us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can find your lovely podcast. That's where we are. Drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. That gets us um, a lot of clout. It helps grow the show, and we appreciate it. And until next time, have fun. Have fun.